Today's scripture reading is from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verses 9 to 14. Hear God's word. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is God's word. In the movie, This Is Spinal Tap, a fake documentary about a heavy metal band, the band Spinal Tap is playing a show in Cleveland, and we see them backstage uh, leaving to go onto the stage to perform, and they do what you imagine a rock band in the 80s doing. They try to get themselves psyched up with energy, and they're going through the corridors yelling rock and roll and swinging their hands in the air, but they can't find the stage. And so they're wandering around, making all these turns in the hallway, and they're trying to get themselves psyched up, but they they don't get anywhere. And so finally, there's a handyman of some sort. I don't know if he's fixing an air vent or I don't remember exactly what he's doing. But they stop and they ask him how to get to the stage. And he gives them instructions, a little bit complicated, but he directs them. And so they go back to what they were trying to do. They make their way down the hallway, rock and roll, go Cleveland. They're all excited. And they make a turn, they make another turn, they make a turn. As they're going around, all of a sudden they get in a hallway, and at the end of the hallway is the same handyman. They haven't gotten anywhere. They were just wandering around going nowhere. In September, we started a sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're finishing today, and you wonder at this point, have we, have we gotten anywhere? Um, we're looking at Ecclesiastes at a period of time in the world where it's hard, it's disorienting. It's hard to know, uh, did Christmas happen? Um, was JFK shot since COVID or before that? It's, it's really disorienting. We have no idea uh, where we are. And, and because of that, the book of Ecclesiastes is a helpful book because it tracks with those kinds of questions. Where are we going? What is this world about? And it raises questions that aren't easily answered and articulate some of the kind of frustration of the feeling that we're not going anywhere. One of the questions in the first chapter, what gain is there for all of our toil? The word toil, uh, work is hard, life is hard, but it would be worth it if it was productive. But it's not clear at times. Are we actually going somewhere? Are we gaining? Uh, we're living in one of those seasons as a society. Are we moving towards anything or are, are there setbacks? What's happening? The book of Ecclesiastes offers wisdom in that context. So now as we come to an end and we ask the question, what have we learned? And starting to wonder, have we learned anything? There is a conclusion, and that's helpful. Verse 13, the end of the matter, the conclusion, all has been heard. So the book brings us somewhere. Here's the conclusion. Fear God. Now, if you 
read the Bible and you're familiar with the Bible, you know that that's a pretty good conclusion. Fear God, keep his commandments. If you're new to the Bible, maybe that uh, maybe it's what you expect in religion or it sounds alarming. Uh, it's more nuanced than you might think. But if you're really familiar with what what the Bible is teaching us, the conclusion of this book to say, here's what you can take away. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's that's actually pretty good. That's a good conclusion for a book of the Bible. But what's interesting is we've been dragged through um, a narrative about a life that's been dissatisfying because he's tried all of these things and succeeded, and yet it's all felt ephemeral. And then he has all of these observations about how little we're in control of things and how there's injustice and how the world seems unfair. And week after week, there were these really hard topics in every passage. And then we come to the end, and it's at least worth it for this conclusion, uh, fear God. That's the conclusion. That's what everything has brought us to. But when you think of the biblical wisdom literature, one of the other sort of well-known books of the, the wisdom literature in the Bible is the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs opens up with an invitation, come and gain wisdom. And what does it say right at the beginning in chapter one? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. <laughs> and then you find yourself thinking, well, wait a second, if, could, I, could we just have have read the book of Proverbs, began with the fear of the Lord, and then just acquired as much wisdom as possible? Did we have to get dragged through all these confusing, discouraging things to get to that point? You know, at one point during the sermon series, I said the book of Proverbs is like a, a wisdom 101 class and Ecclesiastes feels like a wisdom 201. The book of Proverbs, the world is orderly, um, make good decisions, live well, and your life will go well, live foolishly, your life will go foolishly. But now, as you want to mature, the book of Ecclesiastes brings you into advanced things. The world is more complicated than that, actually. Still seek wisdom, still, leave well, still live well. But now, uh, you find that things are not as predictable as you would have liked. And so, it, it seems that if you're going to gain wisdom, you start with Proverbs, and then you go to Ecclesiastes. But, but then you wonder, is Ecclesiastes actually a prequel? <laughs> Were we brought through all of that to be told, here's the conclusion, fear God, and now we're ready for the book of Proverbs. Now we're ready to listen. <laughs> okay, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Are we just beginning the path? And I'm not saying that there's an order. This is kind of like with Star Wars, where people argue that you start with the, the fourth movie or you start with the first movie. Uh, biblical scholars could debate whether or not you should begin with Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. Uh, but, but have we gotten anywhere? Are, are we beginning with the fear of God? Are we ending with the fear of God? How does this work? So what I wanna do today is look at four applications from the end of the book. So, so the, the, the book of Ecclesiastes doesn't summarize the book, and I'm now not going to summarize the, the last nearly year's worth of uh, sermons, but there's a voice change. We get a bit of a, a narrator um, who sounds like a different person. It may be the same person, but some people think this is somebody else. And there's a voice change that now is going to apply everything we've heard. And from this last section, I'm going to draw out four lessons uh, that we could certainly take away from the book of Ecclesiastes. So here's the first one. Be wary of secrets. Be wary of secrets. One of the things the book of Ecclesiastes is doing is it's exposing. It's making known the kinds of things that we just don't take the time to look into. It asks the hard questions. So for example, uh, with celebrity culture, we could be so enamored by success and wealth and uh, being admired that we really think that to live a meaningful life, that's what we set our hearts on. 
And the book of Ecclesiastes sort of exposes that by saying, look, I was there. I, I had power. I was a king. I had a harem. I had parties and celebrities. I had respect, but yet my life was not satisfying. It, it felt ephemeral. There was no meaning in it. I wasn't grounded. And so that gets exposed for us. Those of us who may never achieve those things and feel like, well, I'm failing in life. I would be satisfied if I had those things. Uh, it exposes them. But it also exposes that this world can be a hard place. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes exposes that just because somebody's in power doesn't mean that they deserve to be there or that they steward their power well. There's injustice, there's corruption. Um, the world can feel random. You, you can make good choices and out of nowhere things go wrong and you don't know why and maybe you never know why. The book of Ecclesiastes uh, brings, brings to light these things, exposes things. Partly because wisdom means you can't ignore what's true and you can't ignore what's hard. But that's an important lesson because so many of us don't want to look at hard things like the book of Ecclesiastes confronts us with death. It's easier just not to think about death because death is so terrible or mysterious or terrifying that we have to, uh, to use euphemisms or, or, or put it in some, some place where we could ignore it and act like, you know, even if it's inevitable, I'm just going to live my life despite that. The book of Ecclesiastes confronts us. If you want to be wise, um, you need to look at the hard things. And, and therefore, um, the end is appropriate. Verse 14 of chapter 12, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Uh, so wisdom is to build your life and all of that's good. All that is good and to learn what's evil and to avoid it, to understand how it's harmful. And yet there's something about human beings where we, we wanna to hold together a life of good and evil. There's something attractive about evil or there's something impossible to conquer so we allow it to remain. And the book of Ecclesiastes is saying, look, things will come to light. And you're foolish if you think that God doesn't see, that God doesn't know. That's, that's one of the things that we're learning in this book. To think that you can see and know everything is foolish to think that God can't see and God doesn't know is also foolish. And so one of the lessons we get uh, of true wisdom, not a superficial wisdom, because this book is exposing the problems of superficiality, that's at least one of the things it's doing, is every deed, your, your secret thoughts will come to light. It will come out. And therefore, don't settle for the superficial. You know, we see this in the story of Adam and Eve where one of the things I've been saying is if you understand Genesis two through four, the story of Adam and Eve being formed in the garden and then turning from God when they're tempted by the serpent and then being exiled and their children, Cain and Abel, uh, that, that unit in the Bible, if you're familiar with that, you find that, that the book of Ecclesiastes reads a bit like an examination of this world outside of Eden. Now we know good and evil. And what is it like? Well, it's frustrating. It's hard. There's toil. We feel like we're under a curse. So you go back to that original story and Adam and Eve who walked with God and were seen by him. And that was good. The last word uh, line of Genesis two, they were not ashamed, but Genesis three, they turn from God. They don't trust God. And then what happens? God walks to the garden and Adam's response is to go into the bushes. So, so there's a question for Adam. It's not that God can't see Adam, but God says, where are you? <laughs> and Adam's response is, well, I'm hiding. He's afraid. So the fear of God is, is the conclusion, but there's a kind of fear here that's an unhealthy fear. When most of us 
hear of the fear of God, we think, yeah, we feel God, we fear God because we're afraid that every deed will be brought to judgment. And so fear seems like an unhealthy thing. And the wisdom tradition says, well, that's because we only know one kind of fear and we need to, to move away from that. Um, Adam went into hiding. He thought, if I stay in the bushes, God won't see me. He won't find out what I did. And then the echoes of this playing out, the story of Cain and Abel, God comes to Cain with a question. Cain just murdered his brother Abel. Uh, Cain, where is your brother? And he responds slightly more sophisticated than Adam. He Maybe there's some advancement here. Am I my brother's keeper? Again, there's a deflection there, almost like God doesn't see, God won't know. And that plays itself out in our lives. And the funny thing is the ministry of Jesus is, a, is exposing, warning us about hypocrisy. That's one of his concerns about the religious leaders. It's not that they were very devoted. It's not that they were uh, faithful to keep the commandments, the Pharisees. The problem was they were hypocritical. There was an external form of devotion, but inside their hearts hadn't changed. So Jesus is saying at some point, what's inside is going to come out. So don't, don't settle for superficial. Don't keep secrets, but, but become wise and, and become whole. Don't have a, a hidden inner life and a constructed outer life. Um, so one of the problems is if you do that, you're eventually going to be found out, and that's going to be humiliating, shameful, painful. But Jesus highlights, but as long as you're hiding, you're missing out on what would actually bring you fullness of life. So he says, don't be like the hypocrites who sound a trumpet every time they're going to give to the poor, who love these long prayers in public so you think that they're devoted. Don't be like them. But instead, have the kind of life where your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, in this knowledge of good and evil, there's a tension in all of us. There's good in all of us. And in that goodness, we want to be seen. When you, when you do something wonderful, it's like the little kid who does an athletic thing and wants the parent to see it, but it's like the adult at work who does a great job and wants to be recognized. We want to be seen. And yet, because we're in tune with the evil in our lives, and not even the evil we do, but when we're affected by evil, when, when we're victims, no matter how evil comes, whether it's from within or, or without, the effect is often the same. We don't want to be seen. And so there's a tension in this world of good and evil that we also don't want to be seen. We don't want to be truly and deeply and fully known. And, and that creates fear. And there's this odd tension. We want to be seen, but we don't want to be seen. And it's it, what creates, it's how we use the internet to create superficial lives that we, we exaggerate what we want people to see and we minimize what we don't want them to see. And now we're in, in these years of, of people being caught and found out and accused and it's humiliating and it's shameful. Jesus would have us be wise to say, well, well, your father sees in secret. If you, if you have a healthy fear of God, then it doesn't matter if nobody appreciates you, if nobody recognizes, if you're doing good and it's not rewarded, there's a joy of knowing, but my father who is good sees, and that's motivating. But as long as we're allowing some space where we, we're allowing ourselves to do things that we hope nobody will find out, then that unhealthy fear to to be the kind of person that thinks I hope God doesn't see actually hinders us from real growth. And so one of the things that we learn is that every deed is brought into judgment, whether good or evil, every secret thing. So let every secret thing be good. <laughs> let every public thing be good and be wise. Don't think that you're going to fool anyone um, because what you do can be found out. So that's one lesson. Second lesson. 
from Ecclesiastes and in this ending. Second lesson, know your limitations. That's one of the things that Ecclesiastes reminds us. There's something humbling. One of the difficult things about the book is it reminds us of our limitations. And so um, in all of our searching, which is, which is the path of the, the teacher, who we call Koheleth, that's the Hebrew word for the preacher, the teacher, um, all of his searching, he finds that the more that I understand, the more I realize I don't understand. And therefore, one of the lessons for this book about wisdom is that if you think wisdom is figuring everything out, so that becoming omniscient, knowing all that you can possibly know, you then also become omnipotent, that you have sufficient agency and power and control that you could protect your life from harm and you could realize all of your goals. Well, then you misunderstand wisdom. The fool misunderstands wisdom and power by just not, not doing the hard work to engage it. But we could find ourselves being wiser by doing the hard work to learn and to apply and to, to face the struggles of life. But if our assumption is that the payoff will be eventually we'll know everything that we can know, and then we are empowered to live perfect lives, the book of Ecclesiastes says, you're misunderstanding wisdom. Uh, we will never be omniscient, we'll never be omnipotent. And so verse 12, this tender warning, my son, beware of anything beyond these words, of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. We're a church in a university neighborhood. There's been many a person at Emmanuel who has resonated with these words. Our children's sermon shared today by a graduate student. Much study, there's a weariness of the flesh. There were echoes of that if you read into the children's sermon. Somebody who knows firsthand at this point in the semester. Um, yeah, books are wonderful. Learning is great. But there's something about about the, the acquiring of knowledge that if we think that having understood, we will know all there is to know and then we will finally have agency. We, we don't understand knowledge and we don't understand agency. So again, the book of Ecclesiastes, learn, grow and do, act, take responsibility, but also be prepared that in this world, you will, you will constantly be surprised you didn't understand or even where you did, there's nothing you can do about it. So maybe your political view, as it turns out, is the right one and everyone else is wrong, but everyone else is in the majority. And therefore, you know, but you don't have the power to change. That's the kind of world that we live in. And so uh, the, the weariness that comes from trying to gain omniscience and omnipotence. Um, the book of Ecclesiastes reminds us, seek wisdom, actively live a wise life, but also know that you will never get to the point where you no longer need God. See, see, we think that faith is for the weak and the foolish. It's for people who don't understand and who need a crutch. And the book of Ecclesiastes says, I've actually done such advanced learning and study that I know more than so many. That's part of the claim of, or at least the, the um, perspective of the book. And the conclusion is not that I've arrived. And now I don't need the Bible. I don't need God. I'm on my own. I've become wise. I've become powerful. But actually, the more that I learned to realize, the more I realized my weakness and vulnerability. The more I tried, the more I realized that the world seems random. And therefore, true wisdom doesn't mature you away from faith, but make sure that your faith is not a crutch. Make sure your faith is not superficial, that it's not uh, just believing anything because you want to believe it, but that there is a creator who is omnipotent and omniscient. 
and we are the creation. We will never be. And there is so much we can learn and so much we can do, but we will always depend on God. And that is the true path of wisdom. And so knowing our own limitations, kind of these days, it's important to be an informed patient medically. You know, you don't have to know how a pill works for it to effectively work, but you need to be an informed patient. It would be foolish to say, if I don't need to know that, then I don't need to know anything. One of the jobs of a physician, there's a pedagogical component that a physician is meant to teach you, not to explain the, 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 the pharmacology behind the pill that he's prescribing. Um, but if your doctor tells you uh, a couple of things, like if she says, when you take this pill, um, be wary if you take on other medications or if you're going to drink alcohol, um, you need to know that. So, so the doctor knows all the things you don't know. You don't need to know uh, what the pill does, but, but you need to learn. So, so the fool doesn't learn. But the opposite problem these days, one of the frustrations that I hear from people uh, in medical fields is that there's so much information that, that now the person who wants to manage their own care prepares for their doctor's visit by doing 30 hours of internet research, and they have learned a lot. 30 hours, that's a lot of, you come in really figuring something out and you come in and, and, and your doctor doesn't seem to have read some of the things that you've read. And now you're frustrated because you know more than they do. You know, it's not easy to get into medical school. And after four hard years, you are still not allowed to touch a human being. You're dangerous until you pass certain exams, until you get more training. 30 hours is a lot of time to be uh, searching a subject. Uh, that may prepare you to have a very informed conversation with your physician, but your physician will have a maturity of understanding things and how to discern sources, or maybe your sources are right, but you're not piecing things together. And so, so to be a, a patient, you need to be informed. You can't just assume the doctor knows everything, I know nothing, because when you leave the doctor's office, you need to manage your own care, but you also have to trust that the doctor may say things you don't know. That's, that's, that's wisdom. And yet we fail to appreciate that when it comes to our theology, that there's a sense in which God has made so much known. So we need to study, we need to learn, we need to apply, but we will never arrive. We will always depend on God. And the book of Ecclesiastes makes clear what happens. If you're a fool, well, you're going to quickly ruin your life. But as you're learning, be prepared to find out that you're going to have to depend on God to show you more than what you already know. So you give yourself to ongoing learning. So that's the second lesson, to know your limitations. Here's the third lesson. Be careful who you follow. So you can see there's a bit of a progress here. These secret things will come out. Um, what are your limitations? Well, well, you, you need help. You need guidance. You need wisdom. And there's lots of people that will offer it. But the book of Ecclesiastes points us to this broader tradition. It's one book among many in the Bible that says, but there is one shepherd who will lead you. And so, so you know, in, in the wisdom tradition, the idea is that um, we need to learn. So the book of Proverbs, for example, it's, it's like a father talking to a young or a growing child. Listen to me, I'm, I've gone before you in life. And, and what's interesting about the book of Proverbs, he's not saying, I, I have all this wisdom, so learn from me, but he's saying, having lived more than you, I can attest to wisdom. So wisdom is not in me, but wisdom is personified as a woman. <laughs> Go find her. 
many people are going to invite you to come and join with them, but don't settle. They're, uh, they're, they're, they might confuse you. They might mislead you. But I'm, as the loving father, I'm trying to point you in the direction of wisdom. That, that's the book of Proverbs. The book of Ecclesiastes reads a little bit differently. But what's interesting at the end, one of the reasons people say chapter 12 must have been written by somebody else. And it likely was, but, but not necessarily. It's possible that, that there's a voice change, that he's now framing his lesson uh, for us as a narrator. It could be the same person. Maybe it's somebody else. But, but it sounds a little bit like verse, verse 12 feels like, like the same voice as Proverbs 1 to 9, my son. Not that he's, he's only addressing a male audience, but it's that fatherly perspective in the ancient wisdom tradition. My son, beware of anything beyond these. See, it's not just here's a bunch of facts, a bunch of information, but actually everything that's useful in the book of Ecclesiastes is now presented to us by somebody who wants us to gain wisdom. And we have to be careful who we follow. We actually are encouraged to learn a lot from this figure, Koheleth. We're not told to live as he lived and to do what he did, but we're told that if we read about his life and all of his insights, um, then his words can actually help us gain wisdom. So verse 10, the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly, he wrote words of truth. There is so much true in this book. Now, some of you in reading the book of Ecclesiastes find yourself puzzled, what words of delight are there in there? But there are, you know, there's a time and a season for everything. People, I think people don't realize how complex that is, but they put it on, you know, on in, in a frame and they hang it on their wall. Sure, why not? Uh, or there are these lines, go eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. That's good. There's good, wise words, encouraging words. But so much of Ecclesiastes are hard words, things that we just don't want to think about. The, the fact that, that people suffer, that, that the poor are disadvantaged, these realities. And so verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Um, the shepherding imagery, the, the leading of animals, so you goads and nails, or whether it's oxen, um, other animals, but including sheep, uh, when you're trying to lead a flock, one thing that you can do is be like the shepherd who goes before with your crook. Uh, hopefully the sheep know the, the voice of the shepherd. Come, follow me, and I will bring us back. That's how the book of Proverbs reads. I'm going before you, watch where I am, and follow me. But, you know, sometimes the sheep stop and they get away from the flock and they become concerned with something and they get lost and they're vulnerable. And the shepherd comes back and calls them and they don't listen. So the shepherd has a staff, has a voice, has leadership. But because the sheep are foolish, sometimes the shepherd needs to go over and prod and poke because the sheep won't move, won't listen. And therefore, the care of the shepherd who doesn't want to leave that sheep in danger, but wants them to rejoin the flock, sometimes does something that's going to annoy and aggravate and irritate the sheep. But the goal is so that the sheep will move away from this tiny bush and join the flock and go back to uh, where the shepherd would lead them to a, to a field where they could eat better. The book of Ecclesiastes gives us wisdom, but some of the wisdom comes into our life in that way. There's the book of Proverbs. Listen to me. I go before you follow. We should willingly follow. I want to gain wisdom. I want to avoid all the troubles of life but we're stubborn. There is good and there is evil, and we don't fully do the good, and we make space for the evil, and sometimes God in his kindness and his shepherding needs to come alongside, and he calls us, and he warns us, 
And he teaches us, and sometimes we don't appreciate, that his kindness is in prodding us, in speaking a hard word, a word that we don't like. I wish that the Bible said something different. Well, maybe I'm misunderstanding it, but, but maybe I need to change. Maybe, maybe I think I know something that God doesn't know. Or God brings a circumstance. Or whether or not we have any understanding of why a difficult circumstance has come. Do we know that this is something God has sent to teach us? We don't know that. But in that hard moment, is there something that would cause me to look my head up and wonder, where is God? Am I with the flock? I resent the pain, but actually, if the Lord is my shepherd, yes, I should listen to his voice. Yes, I should watch his example. Yes, I should go where his people go. But I should also expect that sometimes his word is going to be hard. Sometimes um, pain in life will be the very thing that stirs me to greater growth. Knowing our limitations, that we don't know all things, that we don't have power over all things, those are hard lessons. But if the goal is true wisdom, true wholeness, those lessons need to be learned. Now, we could experience them like fools, not under God's leadership, and then pain is destructive. We gain nothing from it. It just traumatizes us. But what we're told is if, if we open ourselves up to true wisdom, if we know who we're following, if we follow after the one God has sent, the good shepherd, Jesus, then even when the word is hard or when the season is hard or when the experience is hard, it's not that we have to say we love hard things, but we have the opportunity to say, well, maybe God is prodding me to see something that I'm stubbornly not seeing or to open my eyes to something I just otherwise wouldn't have realized. And that's part of, of this adventure of faith where we're walking along following after God. And so um, this has been a hard season. One of the reasons Ecclesiastes is good is because it normalizes, hey, are we struggling? Are we confused? Maybe, maybe there's nothing uniquely wrong with you. <laughs> Uh, maybe this is just a confusing season. So that's one of the things in, in the book of Ecclesiastes. The, the, the Bible gives us the space to not know everything, to not control everything. Don't be discouraged. But on the other hand, the way our minds often process things is, well, I'm a failure. I didn't do enough. Or I'm going to comfort myself in this struggle with this thing that's forbidden, but I'm going to rationalize it. And the book of Ecclesiastes also says, be careful. That's not wise. Everything is going to come out. And so take the opportunity in this hard season to, to grow, to get your life together, to learn some new thing. Don't give up. But if you're being proked, if, if you're being prodded, if you're under the care of the good shepherd, um, he will bring you through this. This shouldn't be the whole of the next 20 years. We don't know when it will end, but, but God will lead us. And if this season is a hard season, we don't rejoice that it's hard. But we rejoice that when things are hard, God will show us and teach us and care for us. So he sees every secret deed, whether good or evil. This is a time to put aside your evil and to hope that he continues to see and to trust that. So here, here's the last lesson, the fourth application that I want us to, to take from this. And this is the big picture. So, so that, that's the fourth application. Don't lose the big picture. For all of the details in Ecclesiastes, there's a lot of great things you could learn, but it's helpful that this voice at the end says, well, what is the conclusion? What is everything about? Don't miss that. Uh, verse 13, fear God and keep his commands. That's the conclusion of the matter. That's where we've been going. That's what we've been led to. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That idea of wholeness, 
that's the biblical vision of wisdom that that if, as you grow things start to come together and this picture of wholeness is to say you know in the forest and the trees uh, you could get so bogged down in the trees that you you miss that there's a forest and so yeah you need to get into the details of life but 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 this constant lesson that that are given to us by this one shepherd and so our translation capitalizes the s in shepherd you can see it's making a um, an interpretive decision there. Who's being talked about? The one shepherd is God. And so, so we have these 66 books of the Bible, 39, maybe 40 authors. They each have their own style, their own contribution, their own themes. And yet the same spirit has inspired each of them. So the collection of all of the books are leading us. And the book of Ecclesiastes is one voice among many. You can't only study Ecclesiastes. But if you study Ecclesiastes and you know the voice of the shepherd, then it's another installment of this lesson you need where every book together is teaching you, fear God, keep his commandments. Um, and so, so the language of fear, that's difficult because there's one kind of fear we know because we live in a world of good and evil. And the book of Ecclesiastes reminds us that evil casts a shadow on the good to make the good confusing. And so there's one kind of fear we know is when we're terrified, when we assume the worst, when we are afraid we'll be found out. The word judgment stirs fear. And rightly so. Every deed, good or evil, will be found out and we will be held accountable for it. That's terrifying when we know the limits of our good and the reality of how evil has taken hold within us. But there's wisdom here um, being offered to us, there's a kind of fear that we don't understand. <laughs> there's, a, there's a kind of fear that comes out of goodness that because we're not thoroughly good, we don't understand. So, so Genesis 2 shows us a tree of life. Genesis 3 shows us a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Humanity never got a chance to take of the tree of life because we didn't believe God and were deceived and we took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so now, not having that life, we don't know a healthy fear of God. We know good and evil. And now fear is part of our experience. You know, uh, in these concluding verses, when it, when it says, uh, fear God, keep his commandments, this is the whole of man. You know, the word there is Adam. Adam in Hebrew means humanity, man. Uh, the, 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 uh, the final words, um, you know, Every good, every deed will come into judgment, whether good or evil. Good, evil, Adam. Now, those are those three words are common words in Hebrew and in the Old Testament. So, just because they're there doesn't mean we're, it's talking about Genesis three. Um, but certainly, you could if if the Book of Ecclesiastes is an exploration of this world outside of Eden, the whole duty of Adam, <laughs> um, this idea of what happens to humanity now that we know good and evil. It does stir in us a longing for another Adam. Is, is there any human being who will come and who will keep the commandments? Because we're told that from the first human being throughout the entire history of humanity, there's always been something good in human beings, but there's always something evil. And so none of us keep the commandments of God. Well, the hope is that one day a second Adam would come. And that's the story of the Bible, which is Jesus comes, the one who says he is the shepherd. <laughs> And my sheep know my voice. He's now the, the one whose voice we've been hearing all along in scripture who has said, trust me, listen to me, see my goodness, uh, learn of my teaching. The good shepherd comes 
and he keeps the commandments of God. But then uh, where we in our stubbornness need a nail to prod us, we're told that the one who kept the commandments of God, that second Adam, the nails were poked through his hands and his feet as he was crucified on our behalf. Why? Because the judgment that comes to those who not only know good, but who also know evil came upon him so that he who only knew good could bear the judgment for those of us who know the reality of evil. And what we're told there is there's something in that grace that finally shows us in a new and deeper way why God should be trusted. We should have listened to God from the beginning. So Genesis 2, God and his generosity, all of this in the garden is yours, all of this fruit, the tree of life is there. They should have known God's blessing and God warned them about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they didn't understand what it was and they didn't understand the consequences of death because they had never experienced it. And so they should have believed God simply based on God's goodness. God put you in this garden. God gave you life. God sustains you. The garden is beautiful. The food tastes good. God has provided for you. Why would we not trust him? And what we've learned through our knowledge of good and evil is not to trust ourselves or other human beings. Ecclesiastes teaches us that lesson. This world is hard. It feels like we're under a curse. For all the good we do, it seems that it accomplishes nothing. Evil seems advantaged. And so one of the lessons we've learned is when we didn't trust God, the world became a hard place. It feels like hevel, meaningless, vanity, like we're grasping after something we can see, but it's not there. What are we trying to grasp after life? But Genesis 3 says you've been kicked out of the garden and the tree of life is still in there. The book of Ecclesiastes is showing is you could wander through the world trying to eat of the tree of life, but you'll never find it in this world. But Jesus comes and he opens the way um, back to this paradise, this new Jerusalem where the tree of life is. And what we're told then is that now it's possible um, to live that whole life, to put aside our evil, to be glad that God sees us because we're no longer controlled by shame and to take hold of the life that Jesus offers. And that's what he says, my words are the words of life. And if we have them and we understand his grace, you know, the, what we should have had in Genesis 2 is, if God has given us all of these good things, God must be good and worth living, uh, worth believing and following. But now because of the wrongdoing that we've done, it has not only shown us our own foolishness, but it's shown us in a deeper way the thoroughness of the goodness of God, that God not only blessed us, God not only gave us life, God not only taught and instructed us, but when we betrayed God, God protected us and he came after us as a shepherd and he suffered death in the form of his son and he calls us back to join him. And he says, now when I see you, I offer you forgiveness because of grace. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. We have an opportunity to learn fear in a new way. Last week, we had a communion service in Morningside Park. A, a number of us gathered together. We sang Amazing Grace. You know, Amazing Grace, a, a very famous song. Curious thing, Garth Brooks at Joe Biden's uh, uh, inauguration asked the whole country, sing Amazing Grace. <laughs> That's what he said everyone to sing. And I wonder when people were singing, did they understand just how amazing grace is? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Um, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. Well, what is it about human beings that only know fear as something terrible? Uh, how does grace teach our hearts to fear? It's grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. 
Now, that's one of those things, like when we read the Bible, we see there are these contradictions. Amazing grace, which is it? Are we supposed to be taught to fear or are our fears meant to be relieved? And this is the thing, apart from grace, we only know the kind of fear that needs to be relieved. But that's why he says, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed? Because all of the fear that I know, because I live in a world of good and evil, has been relieved because I see now the fullness of good through God who sent Jesus. My fear of judgment, my fear of failure, my fear of humiliation is relieved when God comes and says, I offer you forgiveness and I invite you back. Grace relieves our fears. And once that kind of fear is relieved and we're told this God who is far more good than you ever imagined, (laughs) then we're ready to understand the lesson of what it means to fear God. It's grace that teaches our heart to fear. We need both. We need our fears relieved and we need to learn fear. And so maybe some of you like Ecclesiastes, maybe some of you like Proverbs. I don't know which you should read first, but Ecclesiastes is going to remind you that you need your fears relieved. The book of Proverbs is going to say, and if you're following the good shepherd and your fears have been relieved, then learn what it means to follow God and his goodness. That is the way of wisdom. There is a fear that, that excites us about keeping the commandments of God. And there's a fear that makes us think that we have to keep the commandments or else God will punish us. Only the grace of Jesus Christ converts our hearts so that we could have wisdom. And so this week, think about what kind of fear are you experiencing during COVID? Are you fearing death? Are you fearing a hospitalization and intubation? Are you fearing unemployment? Are you fearing social unrest? The book of Ecclesiastes reminds us, we as a collective humanity don't know enough to solve all these problems as quickly as we should solve them. But there's a fear that is relieved, not because these aren't real problems, um, but because if the God who holds the power of life sees us, well, then we can trust that he will lead us through this, whatever happens. Our fears are relieved as we start to learn the reverential familial fear of the God who sent the second Adam to keep his commands and to bear those nails and to offer us forgiveness. Ecclesiastes on its own, I don't know what the book will do, but in the context of scripture, it will help us to learn to fear God and to keep his commandments. And so I want to encourage you coming out of this sermon series. There's an unhealthy fear. Grace will relieve it. So put your eyes on the good shepherd. There's one person you should follow. There's many books out there offering you wisdom. Read them, but beware. You will become weary trying to figure everything out. At the end of the day, you're going to have to trust someone. One person is presented to us in the scriptures. Jesus Christ, you can trust him. He will relieve your fears. And if you follow him, he will teach you that beautiful and glorious worship inducing fear of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Oh, Lord, how we need relief. Even this week, many of us know this. Many of us have been Christian a long time and we're still overwhelmed by fear and anxiety. Some of us are coming today um, knowing nothing. Lord, we're all similar in that we grapple with the world of good and evil. Lord, we long for a fullness of good. We long for a wholeness. And yet we see evil in this world and its influences outside of us and within us. And it leaves us ashamed and afraid and lost. Lord, we don't like hard lessons, but Lord, may your 
words of wisdom be a delight to us, but if they need to provoke and push us, Lord, help us to receive that as a grace as long as it's coming from you. Make us wise, relieve that unhealthy fear, and teach us the kind of fear that is life-giving. Help us to see you in all of your goodness and glory, that our delight would be to keep your commands, that we would keep no room for secrets in our lives, but that with wholeness and integrity, we would be eager to align the entirety of our lives with the Good Shepherd, to walk with your flock. Lord, by your spirit, lead us this week. Whatever challenges any one of us individually will face, whatever challenges we face as, as a city and as a country and as citizens of this global world, uh, Lord, may the good news go out with grace and power to open up the eyes of many to see that you are indeed a good shepherd and you will lead us to the tree of life. Um, may there be thousands of more tongues this week that sing your praise. May we be counted among those who do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.